Good morning. Welcome to Mission View Church. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here. If this is your first time with us, so glad you came to worship with us this morning. Um, We have been going through the book of Mark, and um, we're coming up to that part in Mark where it is Jesus' final days. And so we're looking through this uh, final days of Jesus, and the sermon series is called Finishing Strong. Here in Jesus' last days, he is teaching, he's at the temple, he's around Jerusalem, and he is... I mean, just putting truth out there, no holds barred, very offensive to those around him. We're seeing all kinds of this um, religious leadership coming in and and, and butting heads with him. And today we're going to see more of the same thing. Um, As I've been studying through this, it's just been really, really powerful. I'm excited to share uh, what God has for us this morning. Uh, But before we do, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today and every day. Uh, Lord, as we open up to Mark chapter 11 and 12, God, we pray the truth of your word would um, pierce deeply into our hearts and our souls, that it would change us, it would grow us, it would change our mind on something. God, that it would be so um, a paradigm shift for us that we have met with our creator today, that our lives are different because Jesus has made a difference. God, we walk out of here different than we walked in because we know you are God. We know your truth and we submit to it today. God, come and have your way. Lord, I pray that you would use me for your kingdom and for your glory and for our good. Come and have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 11. We're going to be um, kind of the end of chapter 11, moving into chapter 12. Oh, this is so good. I'm so excited to share this with you. Who here loves God's Word? Anybody? Man, it is, it is, we here at Mission View Church believe that God's Word is more than just a book, that it's living and active, and uh, that it's like no other book, that men's hands may have penned it, but it was inspired, it was breathed out onto the papyrus by the Holy Spirit. This is no normal book. This is God's very word to us. And it, it is life-giving, it is life-changing. And uh, we come to know our God, our creator, through what he's written, what he's given us. So we love God's word here. Mark 11, we're going to start in verse 27, says this, And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. These are the religious leaders of the time. They did not like Jesus at all. And here we see one of the great confrontations again. And these religious leaders, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question and answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John, John the Baptist, from heaven or from man? Answer me. They discussed it with one another. I love that they just didn't give an answer. I mean, simple answer, right? From heaven or from from man, right? They They could have just blurted out an answer, but no. They go and discuss. I mean... They're just trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to trick him. They're trying to get him to miss up. But anyways, they go and discuss it with one another saying, well, if, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? 
But shall we say for man? Well, they were afraid of the people. For they all held that John really was a prophet. All the people believed that John the Baptist was a prophet from God. In verse 33, so they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So I'm going to stop us right there. We're going to go further into this text, but I'm going to stop right there because there's something really important we need to recognize. It's really clear in the text. First filling in your notes this morning is this. They didn't want to submit to Jesus' authority. The religious leaders of the day didn't want to submit to Jesus' authority. They wanted to live under their own authority. Now Jesus points to John the Baptist, who all the people viewed was truly a prophet sent from God. And John the Baptist proclaimed his message, his whole life was dedicated, his ministry was dedicated to proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. John the Baptist baptized Jesus. John the Baptist had thousands and thousands of disciples and followers. He was well known all around the area. I mean, everybody knew who John the Baptist was. He was a wild man and he proclaimed Jesus the Messiah. He baptizes Jesus and he tells all his disciples when Jesus came to him to be baptized. He's like, this is the guy. This is the guy I've been talking about. Don't follow me anymore. Go and follow Jesus. But they, these Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of the time, hated Jesus and they hated John the Baptist too because John was pointing to Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Well, these religious leaders wanted Jesus to discredit himself so they could do away with him. That's how much they hated him, trying to entrap him so that they could literally off him, get rid of him, end him. You see, the religious leaders held great power over Israel. And Jesus, what Jesus was preaching and with all the miracles that he was doing, supernatural works he was doing, was proclaiming truth. He was, he was really pointing out the, the misguiding of these religious leaders. He, he would say things like this. You have heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, don't hate someone. That's like you've murdered them. You have heard it said, don't commit adultery. But, but I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery in your heart. Now, we hear these things and we're like, wow, that's powerful. This is real truth and it means so much to us. The religious leaders of the time hear this, this saying. They say, you, when Jesus says, you have heard it said, they're going, that, that's us. We said that. And he's saying, oh, but what I say... Can you imagine sitting, hearing what Jesus preached one time, the, the Sermon on the Mount, the thousands of people, the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders all standing around, all these thousands of people hearing Jesus um, teach, and he says that? Could you imagine them sit, standing there? He says, you have heard it said. And everybody looks back. The Pharisees are like, you know, right? This is the kind of challenge that Jesus was to them. The power that they had. And it's not like churches today, religious leaders. I mean, there's no real, you know, there's no social power or whatever um, that, that pastors have today. Back in these times, they were the law. The religious leaders of the time were the law. I mean, if you misstepped or you did something wrong, they could have you killed. They could have you crucified. 
And that's what they did to our Lord. These, these, this, this was serious. This was a challenge to their power, and they would have none of it. Jesus was confronting them. Because what they had taken, they had taken something beautiful. God's covenant with his people, his promises to his people. They had been entrusted with this, and they twisted it. They were using it for their own gain. They were given an authority. It was a delegated authority from God, and they were abusing it, lording it over the people, using it as a stick, just beating them down. And Jesus comes, and he confronts this abuse of power because God loves us. He sent his only son, and his only son, Jesus, is confronting this abuse of power. But who here likes being corrected? Anybody? You just, you just love it. You love discipline. You just live for it. When you were a kid and you disobeyed, you're like, I deserve a spanking. It's my turn. That was, you know, no, nobody likes to be corrected, right? I mean, think about it, especially people in power, people that in society, everyone looks up to, right? They're the ones that have it all together. I mean, their Facebook page is immaculate. Their TikTok's amazing. Their Twitter is never wrong. They're ahead of the game. They dress right. They have all these great Christmas photos, great Easter. I mean, it's amazing. Their life is perfect. And when they're confronted in sin, when they mess up and somebody says, it's like, oh man, I thought they had it all together. When you see, you know, somebody you respect and you see somebody you really look up to and they say something ridiculously wrong, it just hits a little deep, doesn't it? And those people in those positions, you know, that as they are, if they make a mistake or if they fall or if they do something, it is, it is a hard fall. And a lot of times, you know, what happens is they just deny it. You know, they're, they're, they're holding on to their platform as, as tightly as they can. They don't want to lose the influence that they have. They don't want to lose the power that they have. But none of us, none of us likes to be corrected. None of us like to be told we're doing it wrong or we said something wrong or we did something wrong. I have a puppy now. It's great. I love having a puppy, but I have no, no sleep. I'm exhausted Training an 11-week-old Rottweiler is not an easy task. It's lots of treats, redirection, no's, and learning. She gets sick of hearing me say no and telling her not to do something. She barks right back at me. I'm like, no, don't chew on the couch. And she's like, ruff, ruff. I mean, like, defiantly. Like, there's a real defiance there in an 11-week-old puppy. She, she doesn't like being reprimanded. She just barks right back. She throws her little temper tantrum. And I'm like, don't chew that. And then she'll go grab something else she's not supposed to chew. We literally have about 80 toys in our, on the floor of the family room. And she will chew the couch. <laughs> or her pee pad and shred it, you know. It's like, what are you doing? She throws these liber, little temper tantrums. And really what we see is these religious leaders are throwing these little temper tantrums. They were un unwilling to submit to Jesus' authority. But I, I would say today, too, that we're probably guilty of a few temper tantrums ourselves. Because in Christianity, the reality of Christianity is that God is calling each and every one of us to be under his authority. And to do what his word tells us to do. 
And there's some difficult things in here. I don't know if you've read it or not, but it says, it says things in here like, love your enemies. It says things like, um, pray for those who hurt you. When I read things like that, I'm like, oh, that sounds so good. That's so nice. I'm just going to be a Christian person. I'm going to love my enemies. And I'm going to pray for the people that hurt me. I, I seriously think that as I'm praying. And, uh, you know, that's the Holy Spirit, you know, pressing me on to, to, to be like Christ called me to be. And then somebody hurts me. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to get them back. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to tell everybody how terrible a person they are. The idea of God's word, the truth of God's word is wonderful. And our, our spirit, the, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us is attuned to his word. And as we hear his, his word, it's good and it's wonderful. And, and we, we gravitate towards it and our, our, our soul and our heart love it. It's just great. But our flesh... Our flesh just fights us on it the whole time. I'm like, I love God's word and I, I want to do what's right. I want to love my enemies. I pray for those who hurt me, but I, I want to get back at them. I want, I want justice. And I, there's this, this battle that goes on inside of us. And, and, and as we look at these Pharisees and we, we look at those who crucified Christ here, as we look at his final days, it's, it's easy for us to, to just point the finger and be mad at them. But there's, there's something God is teaching us through all of these accounts in the life of Christ. And that God is changing you and me. God is changing us. He is challenging us. Jesus' very words and, and what he shares and what he does challenges us even today because none of us have arrived i wish we had right i I mean i wish we had it all on lockdown right we were just we had it's ten commandments it was jesus's truth you know the sermon on the mount and all of his parables and teachings and we were just rocking and rolling and and had it locked in but that's not who we are and that's why jesus came he knew we would have this struggle he knew that we would be being sanctified and being changed over time, that God was going to do this amazing work in us. That's why Jesus came. You see, the Christian life is a life lived in submission to God. And that submission is something that happens over time. It's a journey that we are on. And that journey we are going to be on until we see Jesus face to face. Either we go from this life into heaven and see him, or he comes again in the clouds. I'm praying that he comes again in the clouds tomorrow. I'm just saying that, throwing that out there for you all. Join me in prayer for that. We pray that Jesus comes, but at one time we will see him. Then, at that moment, we we are set free from this, this flesh and spirit battle that's going on within us. But the Christian life is a life lived in submission. And that life is a journey that God has called each of us to. Man, another thing I want to point out in here about the Pharisees and what was going on, there's a line in there that says, if when Jesus challenged them, tell me by whose authority John did these things, heaven or was it by man's? What was, what was one of the reasons they didn't want to give an answer? This is, this is key for them and for us today. It was because they feared what the people would say. 
They feared man. Now, this is wild because think about this. Jesus is God. God is standing face to face with these religious leaders and they're afraid of man, not God. They feared man and not God. So I I looked up and did a little bit of work on the fear of God. Listen to what God's word says about the fear of the Lord. It says that the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. The fear in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom and humility comes before honor by steadfast love and faithfulness and iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. The fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. These are just a few of the things God's word says about the fear of the Lord. Sometimes we struggle with sin and its horrific consequences because we have forgotten the fear of the Lord. Let me say it this way. We've forgotten the awe the power, the amazement, the astonishment and reverence that God's very existence demands. When was the last time you went outside in the evening on a clear night? I know we don't have many of those right now, this time of year, but you go out on a clear night, you look up into the sky and you see all the stars, you see the moon, you look up, there's a universe out there and you just think to yourself, Man, am I small. Have you ever had one of those, those times in your life? Man, this past summer we went to North Carolina and I remember going out one evening. I'm standing at the edge of the ocean looking out and just saying, man, this thing's amazing. The waves are coming in. You can hear it, the smell of the salt water and the breeze hitting your face. And you just look out and all you see is water. It's just this amazing mass of water with so much life underneath it that we have yet to discover. And I think to myself, what an amazing God we serve. We lose our way when we lose our wonder because we lose the fear of the Lord. This fear of the Lord isn't the type of fear that you and I think about. When we think of being afraid, we think of kind of like running the other way, right? If I'm afraid of something, I'm going to run from it. Flight or fight, right? This is kind of that initial reaction. And so when the Bible is talking about this fear of the Lord, he's really talking about this sense of awe and wonder. Like standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon and just saying, man, God is something else. And there's a little bit of fear that goes into that, right? Because you don't want to just jump off the edge of the Grand Canyon. You just want to swim out to the middle of the ocean. You just want to, it's a little nerve-wracking probably for those astronauts jumping on a SpaceX rocket and going out into space, shaking in their boots a little bit. We lose our wonder. We lose our way when we lose our wonder. This whole interaction, Jesus takes it to a whole nother level here, and he jumps into a parable about a vineyard. Let's check it out. It starts in Mark 12, verse 1. And it says, And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put up a fence around it, and dug a pit for the wine press, 
and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. They took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them to another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and, they, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is his heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. They took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. They were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them, so they left him and went away. The second feeling he notes today is this. God has entrusted all of us with many good things. In this parable, I'll just lay it out for you really clearly here. The vineyard owner is the Lord. The vineyard is God's people or Israel. The farmers are the religious leaders. And the owner's son is obviously Jesus. The ones the owner sent before were the prophets. God had entrusted his people, his beautiful vineyard to these leaders, and they didn't submit to God. God entrusted them with some amazing amazing things, and they hoarded it as their own, not God's. God has entrusted us with many blessings. What are we doing with what he's given us? What do we deserve? Do we deserve these amazing blessings that God has given to us? We live in a world that says that we deserve all kinds of nice things. You're entitled to this, or you deserve that. You may not have earned it or worked for it, but hey, you're just an awesome person, so you deserve this. But the Bible's really clear on what we deserve. And it's not these good and perfect gifts. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that we are deserving of God's wrath and eternity and hell separated from him. But God in his grace and mercy sent Jesus to make a way for you and I. The Bible says in James 1.17, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. You see, the problems start to rise up when we take these gifts and begin to hold on to them so tightly, they become ours, when really everything that we have is God's. And this is what the religious leaders had done. With the power that God had given them, with, with the gift that God had given them, they were holding on to this gift so tightly that when the very gift giver came to them in person, face to face, they crucified him and killed him. Not only that, they spent three years dedicating their lives to trying to build a case to destroy the very person that gave them everything that they had. And that's what idolatry does to us. God's amazing. He loves us and he pours out these amazing good gifts to us. 
Maybe it's that home that you live in. Maybe it's that new car. Maybe something really good. Maybe it's a spouse. What a great and amazing gift. Maybe it's your children. Amazing gifts. But what we have a tendency to do is the same thing that these religious leaders do. We take these beautiful and wonderful gifts, and at first we're like, thank you, Lord. I've been praying for this for years. I've always wanted children. Thank you, God. I just praise the Lord for this beautiful baby boy or beautiful baby girl. And you're just so excited and so happy. And as they're growing, they're your son. You see them grow. You raise them. You've changed their diapers. You've taught them some of the scriptures. You're leading them in the way they should go. And then they turn 13. And you're like, what in the world happened? And they start challenging you on the things that you've taught them. And you grab them and you, you bring them back to the truth. And you direct them and you remind them. And then they turn 18. They start making some of their own choices. And you try and redirect them and you try and hold them and you try and, they're your son. This is your son and you're taking control. And they don't want to talk to you anymore. Maybe you've said some things you shouldn't say in a way that you shouldn't say them. You love them so much. You hold them so close. And they're making such terrible mistakes and you just, you can't stand to see them. You have to control them. You have to take them. You have to make them do what's right. We've taken a beautiful gift that God's entrusted to us and we've made it mine, not his. There's a, there's a scene in the, the movie Tommy Boy. Have you guys seen that movie? Okay, thanks, Zach. And uh, every time I think about idolatry, uh, I think about this clip. Now, Tommy Boy's about this, this young man who's been in college for like 20 years. And um, yeah, his dad passes away, and he has to go and run the family business. And a part of that, that job is he has to go out and make these sales, or his business is going to um, go bankrupt. So it's really, really, really important that he goes and makes these sales. And he really, really, really values these sales. You know, really values them and holds them closely. They mean so much to him. So I finally have the chance to show you this, this video clip. It's a picture of what we do with things that God entrusts to us. Let's check it out. Helen. Helen, we're both in sales. Let me tell you why I suck as a salesman. Let's say I go into some guy's office. Let's say he's even remotely interested in buying something. Well, then I get all excited. I'm like, Jojo, the idiot circus boy with a pretty new pet. The pet is my possible sale. Oh, my pretty little pet. I love you. So I stroke it, and I pet it, and I massage it. Yeah, I love it. I love my little naughty fat. You're naughty. And then I take my naughty fat and I go. <laughs> oh, I killed it. I killed my sail. <laughs> That's when I blow it. Oh, that's a great, that's a great picture of what we do with the things that God gives us when we hold on to them too tightly. 
God loves you. And he has given you so many amazing gifts. But we have to remind ourselves daily that these are not ours. They're his. Our children are his. Our homes are his. Our parents are his. Our tomorrow is his. It's entrusted to us. Reminding ourselves that every good and perfect gift comes from our Father in heaven. One of the consequences of this kind of thinking, of taking these good gifts and making them our own and excluding God from them. Not, you know, we don't think about it that way. I don't think like when I'm trying to control my kids and, you know, do these different things that, I, that I'm excluding the Lord, but I really am. And I'm playing God myself, actually. The con- some of the consequences, is, one consequence is anxiety, fear, and worry. When we hold on to the things God gives us and make them idols, and then God allows them to either be taken away from us or challenged um, in our lives, we get anxious or totally freak out. We think things like, how can I sur- survive this? I mean, I really value that thing. I love that thing. I live for that thing. I worship that thing. I gave everything I had for that. How could you take that away from me, God? How could you do this? And we turn on the very one who's given us these things. We get anxious, angry, and bitter because good things from a good God have become God things. Little g, God things in and of themselves. And God will never stand for being second or third place in our lives. Is there something or someone in your life that has taken the throne of your heart? The religious leaders had taken a good thing, leadership, to be protectors of God's law and made it a God thing for them. What is it in our lives that's out of balance? Is there anything in our hearts that have, that have taken too, too much of our hearts? The religious leaders were confronted over and over and eventually they killed Jesus for it. This leads us to our final point. When we're confronted with the truth, we can submit or we can rebel. When we're confronted with the truth, we can submit or we can rebel. Three things the religious leaders did. They were angry at the truth. They feared man and they ran from God. The religious leaders were angry at the truth They feared man more than they feared God, and they ran from God. I think we should do the opposite. (laughs) I think when we hear the truth, when God points something out to us in our lives that's probably um, taking a little bit too much of our time, too much of our attention, too much of our worship, when that something is revealed to us, I think we should humble ourselves. Not get angry, but humble ourselves Remember the fear of the Lord and remember that we can run to his mercy and trust in the good news. The religious leaders were angry, feared man, and ran from God. We want to be a people who humble ourselves, fear the Lord, and run to his mercy and trust in his grace. When we're confronted by the truth, really what's happening, the Bible teaches us, is that for us to actually understand the truth and see it applied to our lives is actually something supernatural that happens. 
The Bible says that without the Holy Spirit, God's word makes no sense to us. His, his truth does not take root in our lives. It doesn't make any sense. In fact, it's kind of offensive. But with the power of the Spirit living in us, the Holy Spirit brings light to this truth and it actually becomes life to us and it reveals things in us and it reveals things about God. And in so doing, it convicts us of sin in our lives. That's the, the work of the Holy Spirit living in us. That is an amazing supernatural thing that is happening. So we, this is, this is, a fruit of the Spirit living in our lives is conviction of sin. And we, we don't talk about that all that much, right? We don't, nobody wants to talk about being convicted of sin or, or repentance. Those are like dirty church words that pastors aren't supposed to talk about too much. But there's something I, I jokingly say, but it's actually really, really true. As, as Christians, there's two things that we should be professionals at. I mean, if there's, there's two things that, that we should have really just lined up in our lives. Two things. You guys remember what they are? Does anybody remember what they are? Repentance and forgiveness. We should be professional repenters and professional forgivers because as we live out our lives, God, let me say it this way. God loves us too too much to leave us the way we are. He is going to change us and grow us continually. He is never going to leave you alone. He's never going to leave you to your own devices. He is going to step in and do the work of change and growth that only he can do in our lives. And he's doing that because he loves us. So this miraculous work of conviction of sin that the Holy Spirit brings should be happening on a regular basis. Now, I think God in his grace doesn't do it every day because we'd just be puddles, you know, messes everywhere. He does it in seasons of growth and change that he, he works in us. But when we sense that, we are quick to repent, acknowledge our sin and acknowledge his truth and him as God of our lives. You see, the Pharisees and religious leaders of the day allowed the truth They allowed Jesus to be a torment instead of being a testimony. And that's the opportunity that we have. When we are confronted with the truth, it will be a torment or it can be a testimony. When the truth comes into our lives, we can respond to it with hard hearts and run from it and just be like, Eh, you know, God's word might say that, but I'm just going to keep doing what I want to do. But the Holy Spirit's going to, you know, push on us and, and squeeze us more and more. Or we can just testify to the truth. You know what, Lord? You're right. This was wrong. This was sinful. I shouldn't think this way. I should love my enemies. I should pray for those who hurt me. Lord, you're right. I submit to your truth and then testify about it. You know what? Here's what God's doing in my life. Those are great conversations. Have you guys ever had conversations like that where you talk to somebody at your community group or you go out for coffee with a brother or sister in Christ and you're like, what's God doing in your life? Man, here's what, here's what he's doing in mine. I was, I was doing this and I thought, I've, I always thought that was okay, but man, the, the, the Lord just really convicted me about that. And, and God's really changing me in that. And it's been, man, it's been really hard, but it's been really, really good. What's God doing in your life? 
And then somebody else starts sharing what God's doing in their life. Those are the kinds of conversations that Christian fellowship is really talking about. You see, God's truth can be a torment or testimony. What are we going to do with the truth? I want you to know this too, as we're talking through, these are some difficult things, being confronted with truth, looking at idolatry in our lives, and as the Holy Spirit brings conviction of those things, I want you to know that God's not up there shaking his fist at you, going, why can't you do anything right? Don't you remember, don't you know better than this? That's, that's not how God is up there. God loves us so much that he sent his only son to die for our sins. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He's not up there condemning you. He's up there calling you to him. Telling you that he loves you. That he has something better for you. That you don't have to like live up to some standard to earn his love, to earn salvation, to earn eternity with him. Jesus already did that. All you have to do is put your trust in the person and work of Jesus. His death, burial, resurrection, his perfect life. God is calling you into relationship with him. Let's not run from the truth. Let's testify about the truth. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, help us to not be like these religious leaders who were so angry and ran from the Lord. Father, we want to be a people who are quick to repent, to acknowledge your truth, to surrender to your authority, God. I just pray right now, Lord, by the power of your spirit, that you would open our eyes to see things in our lives that that need to be changed, that you want changed in us. Lord, open our eyes to the things that, that maybe have taken the throne of our heart, Lord, that we would hand them over to you, that we would trust you, God, with these things that we, these gifts that you've given us that we value maybe a little too much. God, come and do what only you can do. Change our lives. Grow us up in you and use us for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and uh, sing our closing song together this morning.